Welcome to Yikes, Now I'm a Homeschooler. This is a podcast for those who find themselves homeschooling because of COVID or just because they want to with Laura Seiler and Lisa Sharp. And we have over 50 years of combined experience homeschooling. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And we're here to help you muddle through this situation you find yourself in. So grab a cup of coffee and welcome to the adventure. So today, Laura and I are going to be talking about uh, motivation with your children. So stick around. Motivation Monday. (laughs) Motivation every day. So um, you were telling me that you actually had a question from a homeschool mom that we thought we would talk about today. Yeah. So a good friend of mine who is homeschooling her two uh, little men, um, one of them has always been a great math student and loved it. And all of a sudden he's flagging, not enjoying that so much. And um, she's asking the question, so what do I do? Um, Is it time for a new curriculum? What's going on? So we wanted to talk today a little bit about motivation and uh, especially this time of year, as we've talked about when we're talking about January and all of that. So we wanted to talk a little about motivation and how to keep things on track. Uh, Tell me about this child. So very bright very bright um, and uh, mathematical. I think it's probably very natural for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I started asking some questions, my first go-to was to ask, you know, how much math is he actually doing every day? Um, Are you asking him to do every problem on every page or um, is there something else going on? So um, I, I think really the answer is always to check with your child first and just see if they're really excelling. This child's in Saxon math. And of course, with Saxon, one of its strengths is that you have um, maybe 10 of the new problems while you have 20 of all different sorts of old problems so that you keep old concepts fresh. And I think it's important when you're doing something like that to check in with uh, those things that maybe you did a while back. But it can be overkill to expect a child to do all those problems every single day, especially when they're solid math students. Mm -hmm. So um, in those kinds of cases, if you're struggling with the same thing, I would encourage you to possibly cut it back to 15 problems to look at them and say, which ones? does this child really need to do? Do they really need to do this long division problem? Or um, can we skip that one today? Mm -hmm. And maybe do one like that tomorrow. But um, either way, making sure, first of all, that the load is not too heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of times our go-to when our children are struggling with motivation is um, we automatically, the first thing that comes out of our mouths is how lazy they are. And they probably aren't. They probably aren't. Um, I, I want to circle back to the Saxon math because yes. we did use that. We did not use it in the elementary years, but we used it in junior high and high school some. Um, and you're right. The thing about Saxon is it's very repetitive, which is great practice. And the other thing about Saxon is that it was designed for the classroom. And um, the teacher has the freedom and flexibility to assign as many or as few problems as they would like. And so what we ended up doing was we would just do the odds. And that gave us enough of the repetition, the cyclical repetition of the concepts, 
uh, with still some practice with the, the new concepts. And there's always like a little practice set of problems mm -hmm. for that particular chapter's work. So you could do the practice set, maybe five of them, and then the odds mm -hmm. through 20 if it's a if it's a, a light day or through 30 because there are, usually are 30 questions. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend doing all Saxon's problems unless you were needed to make a point or something or or if they really really needed the practice you know if you've got a struggling learner um, that's that in itself is going to be an issue especially if they have um, learning uh, concerns where they uh, it takes longer for them mm -hmm. to get the work done mm -hmm. you're going to have to modify a little bit um, and that can take uh, lots of different kinds of forms mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but either way you know, the goal is always mastery. Mm -hmm. um, and if they've got mastery, then why would we make them do it again? And I, I think uh, along that same line, even taking doing the odds today and the evens tomorrow is much better than making a child sit down and do all 30 of those problems. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need to operate like a classroom right. in homeschool. It's it's detrimental actually to to do it like that. So spread it out and and uh, you know keep keep going on it. But um, yeah. So interesting little footnote that um, Laura, you probably remember this um, when we first started homeschooling back in the dark ages. Mm -hmm. um, Saxon wasn't even sold for most of the grades. Um, you could buy kindergarten, and I think you could buy fourth or fifth grade. Um, but nothing else. Homeschoolers were not allowed to buy any of those. And suddenly Saxon discovered this great little market and homeschoolers have been devotees ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Saxon's a very popular program. Uh, it, the math pro, uh, field of homeschool curriculum has burst wide open oh, though. Has. There's so many really good curriculums out there that um, some are really designed for certain kinds of learners. And it's, it's not a bad idea if your child is really stuck because they are, um, the curriculum just doesn't fit them, then it would be worth looking into some other um, math resources. Yeah. So Lisa, um, on that topic of researching other, let's say math curriculum that might work, do you have any suggestions on how somebody would go about doing that? Well, you know, we've talked a lot uh, during the course of this podcast from time to time about knowing your child, um, knowing how they learn, um, and the fact that, of course, if this is your first year homeschooling, you're learning your child in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. So the first go-to is going to be to um, assess those things. What do I know about my child? Are they right brain, left brain? Um, Saxon is very concrete. Um, and so it appeals particularly to people that are concrete, people who are naturally mathematical. Um, one of the things that's helpful if you're going to pursue that, and if you decide that the curriculum is not really the problem, you just need to modify a little bit, is once in a while, um, if you can afford it, if you can spare the pennies, go out and buy a little manipulative or um, I did fraction circles, mm -hmm. um, just something like that, that just injects this little burst of something that different, mm -hmm. something of interest. So that's that. Um, but going back to mathematical things, generally, um, you're going to look for a curriculum that um, is in keeping with those 
uh, characteristics that your child has. If your child is particularly artistic, you might choose one and, and not mathematical. And when I'm saying that, you might choose one um, that uh, caters to a child like that, um, a child that's a little bit more, uh, how do I say it? creative yeah something that's a little more creative and for children like that i think things that are helpful are color mm -hmm. um things that are descriptive mm -hmm. um things that have more manipulatives maybe mm -hmm. um i'm not a huge fan of lots of manipulatives in fact i think it can be distracting and sort of unnecessary at times um, but there are some children who really benefit from that mm -hmm. early on especially manipulatives can be great i'd say kindergarten, first, second, possibly third grade. Um, in third grade, there tends to be that transition from uh, abstract to more concrete think. Wait, is it con Backward. concrete yep. to more abstract yep. thinking? So that's where the manipulatives can kind of phase out yep. because you've, you've already established like one is one little square. You've kind of got that. I don't know exactly how your mind works, yeah. but it, it, it takes a concrete concept and and you can begin to use it in an abstract way in higher math well and i think what you're saying is really important um you know we're, we're kind of stuck on third grade because that's where we started but um at the same time i've i've always said that for me teaching third grade was the hardest all the way down the line and i think it's because you're transitioning from little assignments to real assignments it's true you're transitioning from concrete to abstract there third grade is just sort of a line of demarcation mm -hmm. where education changes it does yeah yeah uh on the topic of creative learners or children who are more creative um one of my sons the math program was not working for him and I needed to do something and I knew that I needed to do something for his math. Uh, and I was able to find one that just, you know, a Saxon is all black and white, really boring for the creative visual learner. Right. And so I found one that was color, color pages. Um, the layout was a little more attractive and that worked a lot better for him. It just was a tiny little tweak. Um, so even something like that, and, and you don't necessarily have to change midstream. You can, you can, it's what March yeah. right now, you have two more months to go. I wouldn't change anything right no. now, but you could certainly keep that in mind as you start going to homeschool conferences, yeah. uh, late spring and in the summer, look around. And if you kind of know what style or what, um, feature you're looking for in a math program or any other kind of program you can kind of keep your eyes open for it now now that now that you've got some you know experience under your belt homeschooling yes. you're all set to go so yeah and i mean this is the time and we'll be talking about this in weeks to come that this is the time of year when you need to start making your wish list mm -hmm. uh, because conferences and book fairs are all coming up um, but we've been talking mostly about math but there are lots of other subjects to think about. And one of the things that I think about right off, I'm one of those sort of grammar nerds. <laughs> I loved grammar. I loved diagramming sentences. I did too. I confess. <laughs> I did too. So so um, imagine my surprise when my kids didn't want to diagram sentences. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, we have to think about things like that. And one of the things that comes to mind right away, remember that we want to shake things up. Things don't always have to be the way that we did it in a classroom. Mm -hmm. In fact, we really need to shake that monkey off our backs. So you sound like you might have a really creative way <laughs> to uh, teach diagramming sentences. Let me tell you what I, I want to hear about this. If you haven't seen it, Winston Grammar. Yes, we use that. Yes. Winston Grammar is so much fun and they get it. It makes sense to them and they're doing it instead of this laborious writing it. Mm -hmm. And once they get it, then diagramming becomes easier. Right, because you've already kind of uh, learned the pattern of the different parts of speech. Right. And where they fit in a sentence and how they are connected. And exactly. Yeah, that was the program with the little cards, mm -hmm. the different colored yep. cards for nouns and yep. pronouns and adjectives. We did yes. that too. Yes, that was great. And, you know, the, the other side of that is that I feel like uh, some very black and white down and dirty curriculums like Rod and Staff are great for English grammar. Mm -hmm. And um, Harcourt Brace had a great English all bound in one book for junior high and high school that had like grammar and composition mm -hmm. and the whole nine yards mm -hmm. all in the book. I think Becca has the same thing. Do they? Yeah. And a nice all in one language okay. arts program. Yep. And I mean, some kids are great with that. Mm -hmm. They don't need the frills and those kind of things. But it's nice to have an extra tool that you can use when everybody's kind of just ready to do something different. Mm -hmm. I agree. So while we're on the subject of English, um, maybe we should talk a little bit about things like book reports. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the thing that every kid dreads. Um, and maybe every mother. Yeah, you know, you've got to write that, read that stuff. You've got to mark it up. Then you've got to hear the wailing when they get the comments that's, about the rewrites. And Oh, I thought you were talking about wailing when you said they had to write a book report. That's, that that's what would happen at my house. But then there are the rewrites. Um, oh. So when they, <laughs> you know, that's the thing is you're trying to streamline things so that maybe they're talking about history and English and science all at the same time. And they only have to do this one written thing. But Sometimes it just doesn't work well and you have to rewrite. But anyway, all that said, book reports, um, do they always have to be written? I was going to just ask you that. Is there another way to accomplish the goal of book reports? Well, it depends on the goal. Is the goal to see whether your child can write and how their writing is progressing? Or is the goal to see what they've learned? Comprehension. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a kid who... Um, really hates to write, then it's not going to be motivating for them to sit down and write a book report. Is there another way they can do that? Is there a way that they can show me or tell me what they've learned? Mm -hmm. um, expect good things of them. Don't, don't just let this be a slack off on their part. Right. Right. Um, but you know, Laura, you've told stories about your kids building teepees and all of these things and acting out stories, historical things. And our kids have done that too. In fact, we've got a ridiculously funny family story about when our oldest daughter uh, was doing a summary report of all the work she had done on ancient Egypt all year that year. And she dressed up in a costume and she took some of our baby's diapers and made our middle daughter a costume. And as we're having them do the presentation in our living room, um, the diapers started falling off 
and we've got this video recorded and our middle child goes sinks down and crawls out of the room <laughs> so her costume was falling apart but anyway i mean it makes for good family time and absolutely and yeah you're still getting to see what the child has learned mm -hmm. so again you know in terms of motivation are you asking them to do something that may be necessary or are you asking something that may not be necessary mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to assess that at some point they're going to have to write yes this is true this is true they do have to write at some point yeah um but i the the creativity part really resonates with me i would much rather dress up and portray a character in the story than I mean, I would be fine. Personally, I'd be fine writing, but as a kid, I'd probably much rather dress up and pretend to be somebody and tell you all I know about that character or what that character did in the story. And that's very much uh, showing that you've comprehended and understood and internalized the story yourself. And honestly, I think that some of those interactive times are the times that you have these unexpected bursts where you learn things about what they have learned mm -hmm. that might not have come out any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So how about science? Oh, well, uh, I think I've told you before that I am a, a charter member of a group called Hence, H-E-N-S-E. <laughs> yes, the one that I didn't know about but should have Yes, I think you would have been a charter member with me had yes. you known. It, it stands for Home Educators Neglecting Science Experiments. Yes. Charter member, hand raised here. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we didn't do science. That's right. You know, we, I, I will confess, I bought the science curriculum and it was terrible to open and do. And I didn't do the experiments. Obviously, I was a member of HENCE, so I didn't do the experiments. <laughs> too much, um, uh, you Stuff. know, it's kind of like for people who don't like crafting, it's kind of like having to do a craft. If you're not a crafty girl, um, having to do a science experiment, if you're not a science experiment girl, that's where I was. So, but at the same time I was thinking about it, we did actually a lot of science over the years. We did, um, we did, we were in a group called 4-H, a club called 4-H, and one of the many things that we did with 4-H was we could do an embryology project. And they gave us an incubator, and we got some chicken eggs, and we uh, we documented every day, you know, the, the I think it's a 21-day, 18, 21, 18, 21 day. 21 um, we candled the eggs and looked inside, and... Um, we even tried to do that little thing on a certain day. You can cut the shell, leaving the membrane intact and peel the shell away and actually watch the embryo develop. We didn't do it on the right day. It was a kind of a, kind of a disaster, but, um, <laughs> I've had science disasters. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it was, it was fascinating and you know, you're learning reproduction and life cycle and it just was wonderful and then you end up with little chicks at the end and you get to see them burst out of their shells and oh. it was wonderful and we um another really interesting science thing that we did but it kind of just happened to us uh 
when uh, we went to get the Christmas tree, there was a praying mantis egg sack on the tree. So one of my sons was like, oh, I'll take this up to my room and I'll put it in a <laughs> fishbowl. And wouldn't you know it, the next day, 150 baby praying mantids hatched. And did you know that praying mantids are predators? They eat live, they only eat live food. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. And so they begin to eat each other. <laughs> so um, science uh, experiment. That was more exciting. That was very exciting. So um, I don't want to say science experiment, number two, but science activity. The next step in the science experiment was to find out what they could eat if they were not eating each other. And um, so we found out that they eat, they can eat uh, fruit flies. Well, I usually don't have a problem. Uh, I usually have plenty of fruit flies in my kitchen, <laughs> but I didn't that day. And so there was no food for them to be found. So uh, the grocery store was no help. They actually don't like fruit flies at the grocery store either. So we had to order fruit fly culture from Carolina Biological Supply. And uh, we started breeding fruit flies for these mantids to eat. Well, they grew bigger and bigger and and ended up that my son in the 4-H club was able to do a whole presentation on the life cycle of a praying mantis, how to keep a praying mantis as a pet, and um, went on to do quite well with his public speaking presentation because of that. So you're, what you're telling me then is if you're doing science, you don't have to like read the chapter and do the questions. No, no. And it's no harder than just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And, and being open to, you know, the world, the wonder of the world. There's no telling what you'll find. We had, um, I don't know if your three girls had this, but our guys, you know, our, our girl and guys had this. We had a bug collection we pinned. Didn't have, we didn't have a bug collection. Pinned in, in a nice, beautiful display. Good, good. You know what I wish I, I always wished I would have done? was to document the, I guess it's kind of like the life cycle of the, the tree. Oh, that's a you good know, idea. I, I really get that either. I wish I would have like picked a branch from the spring when the buds are just coming out, picked a branch from the summer when like maybe it's flowering, picked a, you know, the leaf in the fall when it's, or in the end of summer when it's bright green. And then in the fall when it turns colors and kind of keep like a nature journal of that, I, I always thought that would be really cool. Yeah. I never did it, but, um, and that's another thing a lot of people are, seem to be attracted to these days are nature journals. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever do anything like that? We did some, um, I'm trying to remember whether we, I, I can't remember if we did it as a part of a curriculum or something else, but we did do some nature journaling. Mm -hmm. um, another uh, non-science activity that I did that kind of got me in trouble a little bit. Um, we, um, we were studying the solar system. And so I, we made all the planets and I taped them to the ceiling in the hallway upstairs and I got in trouble. Uh -oh. Yeah. A little bit, you know, but the tape is still there. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was great because the, um, I'm not sure where I got this, um, you know, the instructions to do this, but the, the styrofoam balls were relatively in proportion to each other. 
and we painted them. We talked about the different planets and, and then we put them relatively in proportion away from each other. So that's why we needed a Got hallway, it. a ceiling in the hallway. So oh, yeah, you need a long space. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually heard of, um, this one way to teach the planets where you, I guess you would probably have to have nine, maybe 10 kits involved in this. So if you had like several friends you want to get together and just have like a, an astro a planet day, you, um, you'd probably easily find this on the internet, how many feet apart from each other you need to stand ah. to represent. And it, and it goes down the whole street, you know, and you've got a few, few kids standing relatively close together. And then by the time you're out to Pluto, which isn't a planet anymore anyway, <laughs> it's way down there at the end of the block. So, but what a great visual for kids that to could do be that. So you know? much fun. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's so many things, so many to oh do goodness. for science that. Yeah. Um, so, all that said, you know, just just understand that if your kid's not feeling particularly motivated, you don't have to do it the same way all the time, and you don't have to do school in the same place. Um, if you need to do something different, go outside. We're heading into some nice days, so enjoy them. So um, for our next podcast, we're going to be talking about curriculum because this time of year, everybody's thinking about book fairs and, of course, thinking about next year. And, of course, the first day of school is always one of the most exciting days in the year because you don't have any mistakes yet. You haven't made any mistakes. True, it's all true. brand new. Everything is new. You've got fresh stuff and you're excited. So we're going to be talking about curriculum and making some decisions and getting your wish list together. One of my favorite things to do when I was homeschooling was to um, research and see what was out there and see what was new and also think, think back about the year and what went well, what could have been better, why it could have been better, what I learned about my kids, that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to this topic. It'll be a lot of fun. It will be fun. And so uh, get ready with a pen and a piece of paper for next time. All right. We'll see you then.